Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. You could hear that? Yes, just like your chair that you keep swiveling. The chair is squeaking when I swivel. The mic's making a lot of noise when I move it. Oh, well. Live radio. You just don't, waited. Don't turn it down, Eli. This is Bruce's music. I hate when you do that. And while we're talking to Bruce, would you please find the real feel in DC for today? Please. Right now, it's time to go out to the score hotline. There you go. You're turning it down again. I can't I can barely hear it. There you go. Where we're joined by score baseball insider Bruce Levine. You can hear every Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse. You can follow him on Twitter at MLB Bruce Levine. You hear him right now on Hit and Run. Hey, good morning or good afternoon, Bruce. This doesn't Bru- like me. I'm sure you realize that by this point. That's why he turns the music down. I understand that. Uh, we have a lot of problems with Eli. Uh, he's, <laughs> you don't know the half of you it. Do, you really don't. <laughs> you really don't, Bruce. All right, so uh, Tyler Chatwood is going to be driving to Iowa with Chris Bryant. Is that true? No, I just actually I just added that to the news. Chatwood will actually, be joining me. They'll, they'll be driving together to Omaha, where Iowa is tomorrow for one more day. And then they'll be going back to Iowa for a homestand. That is how it'll take place. Uh, Bryant had his second day of outstanding BP, if there's such a thing, uh, out on the field, hitting balls everywhere out of the park with his new grip on the bat, uh, swinging through with both hands on the bat rather than letting the top hand go. Well, Riniak wouldn't approve, but no, nonetheless, it's a uh, – Perfect swing for him right now. No pain, he's reporting. So I would say three to four days at uh, Iowa and up, be up there maybe for, I'm guessing, not one day in Atlanta. You know, maybe not that on Thursday, but maybe Friday joining them in Philadelphia, I think would be a, a likely scenario. Might as well just wait till September 1st, right? Saturday. You can, but I mean, you know, if, if, if you have to put Bodie. Uh, if you have to option him for one day and he stays with the team for one day while Bryant joins you and is in the lineup Friday, if that's what your choice is, okay. I mean, Bodie's going to stay with the team regardless whether he's optioned for a day or not. But they have that ability to, to do that if they want him back before September 1st. So th- that, that's how it all shakes down. How serious does the Russell injury sound? You know, I talked to him uh, yesterday about it. I looked at the knuckle. It was stepped on by Javier Baez. It's kind of flattened out in the area where uh, you don't want your knuckle ever to be flattened out. And uh, he said it was going to be a little while. Uh, that mm. means that he's not going to be coming off the DL right away. Uh, he's dealt with this hand issue 
for most of this year. I think you guys would agree that it's taken away the power in his swing. We haven't seen it. We haven't seen the, the 21 home run swing that he had in 2016. It's, uh, he has no pull ability, you know, to to uh, drive the ball for a slugging percentage. So uh, this has been an impactful year. Defensively, I think he's had an outstanding year since with his new throwing. And, you know, earlier in the year he had some throwing issues. But range-wise, you check with anybody, and uh, there's nobody that has more range than Addison Russell. Will he be a trade ship? going forward next year or somebody that they look at as rehabbing, coming back to being the type of player he is, uh, he was in 2016. Those are supposed to be some interesting questions in the off season. So uh, I know we'll have the September call-ups and you won't, it doesn't sound like they'll have to make a decision with Brian as far as sending a position player down. Um, but once you get to the playoffs and if with Brian and Russell, part of this, now you're talking about making a couple of moves. Who who else do you think are there, is it going to be a tough decision on? Well, I mean, it would be a tough decision for, uh, you know, obviously, you know, Bodie is one. And, you know, people, you know, I mean, right now they talk about Bodie like he's, you know, a, an instant Hall of Famer and, you know, going to be one of the darlings in Cub history. He's been a really nice player, okay, up till now. But, you know, making some type of, a case that this is a starting player in the big leagues for a championship caliber team that that's that's pushing it right now. Steve okay? Dillard he, had a great week once. Yeah, he did. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, Gary Scott looked good in spring training a couple of times. Never forget uh, that Tuffy Rhodes game. Yeah. So you know, I think it's is it is it cub like that people automatically fall in love with a player who helps you win for a couple of weeks or. Is it uh, indigenous to all baseball teams when they see a, a new young player come up and get excited about him? You should be excited about David Bodie. He's helped you win when you needed it the most. Uh, you know, he's going to be a footnote for this year for sure in history as an important, uh, you know, uh, bridge to getting into September and, and having a lead. But uh, David Bodie was coming off of a three for 23, and uh, they started to throw high fastballs and he had to start adjusting to that. So this is, you know, big league baseball at its very best. You never judge a young player off of a couple weeks of work. You never judge him off of a month or two. Uh, it, you give him a longer period of time. He's a good, solid player that can help the team. But when people start saying, what are we going to do? We have Bodie and Brian. Which one should play? You know, I start pulling what little hair I have left out. <laughs> This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one eight seven seven Cars for Kids. Back to Brian for just a second. The actual physical consequences for him, not in terms of his health. It's obviously good for him to keep two hands on the bat. He feels better in terms of the pain, but in terms of the actual production, how does it change, Bruce? Uh, I don't know. I mean, you know how how is it going to uh, shake out as far as his new stroke? I I don't know. I can tell you that he's. He looks healthy swinging the bat, guys, for the first time in three months, okay? When he jammed that shoulder in June in Atlanta, the swing has never been the same. It looks much different now. He has full extension uh, with the left arm that he didn't have right before he went on the DL where you saw him feeling for base hits and trying to not pull the ball, hit the ball to center and right field because it just hurt to swing uh, in that labrum area where he probably has you know, some type of minor damage that maybe may or may not have to be addressed in the off season. Um, 
as far as I, I'd say four or five days a week, he's probably their freshest player coming out there. Joe also mentioned he's going to have him in the outfield. That's an option. So uh, all those things going ahead. The, the, the next four or five days are key for him to get his body in baseball condition. That means aches and pains out of the way after missing almost four and a half weeks. You know, you just go out there and playing and standing in spikes for nine innings is a challenge just like it is out of spring training. So getting his body soreness out of the way, getting ready toward the end of the week and joining the team, I think that's what you look for with Bryant uh, during this rehab. So now what do they do with the rotation during this stretch of 23 okay. games in 23 days? Yeah, so they're moving to a quasi-six-man starting. Uh, this actually starts this week, but it won't take place until Quintana gets his extra day starting Friday. So what happens is Mills goes into the rotation and he'll pitch Wednesday. Montgomery will come off the DL. He'll pitch Thursday. Therefore, starting Friday with Quintana, one time through, everybody will have five, five days off, okay, through the rotation. They'll revisit it again after that, depending on the success or failure of Mills and the idea of whether or not uh, they want to have these guys have an extra day off. You know, the most important part of this is they're in a 23-game streak with no days off until, uh, the, until August 13th. That, that's the longest stretch of the year by far for the Cubs without, uh, without a day off because of that, uh, that, that makeup game in Atlanta on Thursday. So th- this is uh, really significant to do this. And also with the call-ups coming on Saturday, uh, you, you're going to be able to have a speed player come up. You're going to have to have more bullpen. You're going to have more B bullpen guys for Joe to put in there and blow out games either way so he can protect his A's. Uh, you know, this is, this is a huge week for the Cubs because you're going to be looking at power arms. It's not going to be Cincinnati that you're looking at after the Mets. The Mets are no joke with Cindergaard and DeGrom. Those are two games that you can say these are going to be tough to, to win. Then you're going to be looking at uh, uh, Arietta and, and Nola uh, the next week. This is a, a significantly tough period of 11 games on a road trip, you know, starting on uh, Thursday in Atlanta. You're going to see one of their best young pitchers in Atlanta on Thursday. So uh, building up that, um, you know, over the next, if they can build it to five games today over the division, I think they're going to need all those games because uh, they're, they're going to get outpitched in some of these games coming up. Four of Giolito's last five have been really good, Bruce. What looks different to you? Uh, I just think the east, the, the north-south delivery where he is just uh, not walking people, has his command, has his arm slot properly, uh, the fastball command, all those things looking really good. And explain Kinda what like, you mean by north-south. Is he getting on top of the ball? Yeah, he's getting on top of the ball. Thank you for helping me with that. And that means that he's commanding his fastball better. Uh, he's, he's not, you know, his, his mechanics aren't back to where he's leaving his arm, you know, too far back and therefore not getting through the strike zone. So this is uh, significant for Julio, much like when he came up last year, you remember – in seven starts, I think he only walked eight guys at the, at the end of that year. Uh, you know, again, is there a, a mental release for both him and Lopez now, knowing that you have uh, Rodan leading the staff and being one of the, appearing to be one of the top pitchers in the American League now, uh, going deep into games? Uh, 
looking like the player pitcher they always thought he would be. Uh, and then you have, of course, today Kopech, uh, you know, joining the rotation and hopefully longer than two innings. I, I think, you know, that, that's, if you're a Sox fan, you look at that rotation part of it and you look at the rebuild that can happen quicker because of the rotation pieces and the guys down there like Cease coming up probably next year, like Dunning probably coming up next year, uh, that the next wave of the young pitchers, including Kopech, could be even more impactful than a Giolito and a Lopez. Do you agree with us that Aloy will not be called up this season? It certainly doesn't look that way. I mean, there would be no reason to think he's going to be called up in early September just because they have – call-ups. Uh, obviously, the uh, I, I think the White Sox have made a decision, but I think a lot of it's based on games played rather than, uh, you know, the eye test of, that we know he's ready to play. I think if you look at his minor league career and know that he's been injured every year and that they, they want those numbers to be built up, I can understand it. I can understand them wanting to protect themselves again, having to uh, have the player for seven years rather than six. Before he goes to free agency, I understand that they don't want to spend maybe $25 million one year too early. I, I understand that. I appreciate it. Even though we'd all like to see him here, including the White Sox brass, it's probably the right business move. Bruce, uh, Kopech seems emotionally to be able to handle the moment. Uh, his adrenaline didn't seem to get the best of him the other night, although if it did happen, he certainly wouldn't be the first to fall victim to that. Uh, you know, I don't know how well you think you know him at this point, but does he seem capable of of uh, holding it together and not overthrowing and just using his ability to get guys out? I think so. I mean, it, it appeared that way. You know, we saw 50 pitches in two innings. Okay, so there were a lot of foul balls by uh, maybe Maurer had half of them. One of the, you know one of the great contact hitters. Of he got the last squeezed by CB Buckner quite a bit yes, too. He, yes, he did. We've seen a lot of that um, umpire-wise. There's some. There's been. There's going to be more clamoring in the off-season about this automatic umpire, which I would hate. But nonetheless, you're going to hear more about it. Uh, the the idea that um, he throws all of his pitches and he's throwing them for strikes. I think that's the key when you watch him today. Um, whether or not he's getting his breaking ball over. Uh, using his uh, curveball and his change uh, more often rather than just the 98. We saw a consistent easy. And when you talk about easy, you talk about this guy throwing an easy 98. It doesn't look like he's laboring when he's throwing the ball. It's a heavy pitch, as yeah. some of the scouts uh, describe it. And that is, that's fun to watch because he looks like an all-day-long 97-98. Those guys don't come along that often. No. No, they don't. I mean, you know, we, we think back to Kerry Wood. It, it, he was always a 98, you know, 97, 98, but it didn't always look that comfortable for him uh, mechanically. Um, he was a, a monster and one of the great baseball pitching athletes uh, in, in 40 or 50 years, but it didn't always look easy. For Kopech, it looks relatively easy. I, I know you get in trouble when you say things like that because all of a sudden you start hearing thinking about, Oh, yeah, remember what we thought about Mark Pryor and how perfect his mechanics were right. and that this was an easy 95 all the time, 96, and apparently it didn't turn out that way. So you have to be careful when you say things like that, but this guy's a monster as far as being a strong young guy that appears to be able to 
carry it out and, and throw 100 pitches and, and stay right at top form. Well, you just don't have a lot of guys that, that use their legs anymore, Bruce. And if he can That's do true. that, he has at least a better chance of staying healthy. Not that at this point we have any idea what keeps a pitcher healthy. Well, and, and like Bruce mentioned, we're talking about just 50 pitches here in two innings, but he was talking about after the game uh, using his fastball and using his fastball until <laughs> they couldn't hit it. Uh, do you expect that uh, today against the Tigers? I don't. I just expect him to use more off-speed pitches and, and set people up for strikeouts. Uh, I think Cooper will talk to him more about, you know, getting uh, getting out of uh, different uh, at bats with three pitches, like they always do. In other words, induce soft contact. Uh, if, if he can do that, you know, it's going to take him a long way toward throwing uh, six or seven innings and a and a hundred pitches, which I'm sure they'd like to limit him to. But um, it's great theater. I mean, I, I don't I don't know any White Sox fan worth his salt that's not going to be watching that with great anticipation today. Bruce, I really like that they're letting these pitchers throw, that they're letting them throw 100, 110, sometimes more than that pitches because nobody lets young pitchers do that anymore. I, I think it's good because I think what we have learned is that it doesn't matter. There's no way to know anymore whether – throwing them too much or not enough is is going to matter moving forward. Now, is this a decision, do you think, that's been made by Renteria or Cooper or Rick or Kenny or all of them? Yeah, I think all of them. I, I think they, they have a game plan for all their young pitchers. And, uh, you know, if they say, well, well, you know, let's see if he's in the sixth inning and he's throwing a stressful inning. If it is and he's around 90 pitches, that's going to be his last inning. And they'll probably hold him to 100 pitches. But, I, I agree with you, Barry. Um, there's no way to protect a guy against injury. If you see a guy that, I mean, the eye test easily tells you if a guy is having a stressful inning that, you know, it's time to get him out of there. That That's easy. But if a guy's throwing, as you just said, Barry, if he's throwing 110 pitches and it's looking like it had in the third and fourth inning, in the seventh inning, let him go. I mean, you're not going to protect him from blowing his elbow or shoulder out by holding him to 100 pitches. That is, I believe, nonsense. Bruce, what do I have to do to get a picture of you with the home run chain? Uh, the home run chain? I, th- I think we can arrange that. Um, it's it's fun. It's fun. I I like the the group that they've assembled so far, and there there are more guys to come. I, I think it's very cool what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, you know, you should have fun when things are going the way they they are for them, and uh, you know, it's. Again, it's about looseness and having a good time. That's what this weekend's all about around Major League Baseball, the, the players' weekend where they get to wear their uniforms with their nicknames on it. And, you know, kind of a tribute to them because of the fact that sometimes I think we take for granted that baseball players are not only the worker, but they are the product. And that's very unique to uh, sports and, in, in particular, baseball players playing 200 games out of the year. So kind of an extra salute, a reminder uh, of what uh, these guys are, what's expected from them and how we take them for granted as baseball machines. Tell Joe West. Yeah, <laughs> right. Bruce, <laughs> right. thank you. Exactly. All right, guys, have a great week. Take care. Thanks, Bruce. Score baseball insider Bruce Levine. You hear him every Saturday morning on Inside the Clubhouse, and you hear him every Sunday on Hit and Run. A tweet thread sent out about a half hour ago from Laura Ricketts. Since several people have asked, yes, I was consulted prior to the Daniel Murphy trade. There were several thoughtful conversations about 
among Cubs executives, my brothers and me, as well as with Billy Bean, MLB's ambassador for inclusion and the subject of Daniel's 2015 comments. I know Billy and have immense respect for him and his work with the league. Billy, who has since developed a friendship with Daniel, was very positive and encouraging. After these considered and thoughtful conversations, which took place precisely because of the Cubs' sensitivities on the matter, I was on board with the trade. Okay. There you go. There you go. People wanted to hear her speak, so. This hour is brought to you by Cars for Kids. Call one eight seven seven cars for kids When we come back, I want to get to a Greg Maddox anniversary. We have other Cubs and White Sox items to get to. And several of you on hold as well. We'll do that next on Hit and Run on the Score. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back in on Hit and Run on the Score. It's Joe Ostrowski, Barry Rosner, final few minutes with you. In 1995, Joe... Greg Maddox had an awful lot of black on his page. It was in the middle of that incredible stretch of 92, 93, 94, 95, or you could you could pick the whole decade if you want to. But that year, in 95, Maddox 19-2 and two in a shortened season because of the strike. Uh, so he led the league in wins in winning percentage in ERA with a 1-6-3 in complete games with 10 in innings with 209 in ERA plus with Two sixty ERA plus of two sixty. Jesus, a FIP of two twenty six, a WHIP of zero point eight one, and you could go on and on and on. Um, unanimous Cy Young Award winner, I believe, for the second year in a row. I think both of those years were unanimous. So, you know, typical uh, at that point in his career. Well, on this particular day, on August 26th, on this date, because by my calculations, it's August 26th. On this date in 1995 was a game at Wrigley when the Braves beat the Cubs 7-2. to I remember it for a couple of reasons. One was that Steve Traxel retired the first eight Braves in order and very easily, by the way. And the third batter up in the top of the third was Greg Maddox. And he got, Traxel did, got Maddox to 0-2. And, and then Maddox fouled a bunch of pitches and worked the count to 3-2. and two And finally bounced an 18-hopper through the left side for a single. What followed was a walk to Marquise Grissom, a triple by Lemke, a walk by Chipper Jones, a single by Fred McGriff a single by David Justice, a single by Ryan Klesko. He never retired another batter. And by the end of the inning, the Braves were up 5 to nothing. All because Steve Traxel couldn't get Greg Maddox out. So I went over to the other locker room after the game, and I said, explain that at bat to me. He's like, Maddox goes, Roz, who's the worst hitter in baseball? I said, you are. He said, no question, right? No question, I'm the worst hitter in baseball. I said, yeah. He goes, he wouldn't throw me a breaking ball. He was afraid to walk me. If he throws me a breaking ball, I got no chance in the world to hit it. But he wouldn't. He just kept throwing fastballs. I kept following him off. Finally, I I got enough of one to bounce it through the infield. So I remember that at bat. And I remember 
one one at bat by a Cub in that game because Maddox obviously threw a complete game, seven hitter, two earned runs, no walks, four K. His ERA went from one eight five to one eight six that day because of the two runs he gave up. The two runs he gave up were on a home run by Jose Hernandez in the bottom of the eighth with one on. And it, I, it, what I remember about it was the way he stepped off the mound on that pitch. It was really odd. It was like he stepped off toward third base and tried to change his arm angle and the way he threw the pitch and everything about it. And I said, what was that? And he said, I was just, I was just messing around. I said, you're trying to win the ERA title, another Cy Young. I mean, you're, de- you're destroying this lineup like they can't do anything. He's like, yeah, I was just messing around. I was just <laughs> trying something. I was bored. I was just trying something. It's like, what's the matter with you? He said, what? I said, you got like a 1-8 ERA. Why are you? He's like, well, between us, I said, obviously. He goes, I can use it against him later. If I see him later this year, I'll use it against him. He might think he can hit that particular pitch. Or he might think I'm going to do the same kind of thing again. I'm just messing around. What's a big deal? Mm. Maddox. That was on this day in 1995. I just always re- the, what I remembered most about it wasn't even the pitch to Hernandez. It was the at bat against Traxel. I mean, he's got a perfect game through two and two thirds, and he's got the worst hitter ever up there. He wouldn't throw him. He wouldn't throw him a breaking ball because he didn't want to walk him. Talk about how pitchers. Won't give in. We talk about it all the time. You watch John Lester, like John Lester won't give in. He's going to throw what he wants to throw where he wants to throw it, no matter bases loaded and three balls. He doesn't care. Traxel at that point couldn't be afraid of walking Maddox, but he was, and so that's how that whole thing started, and he never got another batter out. Wow. Just one of those things that sticks with you. Uh, I apologize if uh, you don't care. But um, that's something I remembered. You got legal? Do we have legal here? Yeah, this hour of Hit and Run is brought to you by the Chicago Wolves. Wolves games make the best company in group outings. Tickets, food, and souvenirs can all be included for one low price. Visit ChicagoWolves.com or call 1-800-THE-WOLVES. Eli, you have some uh, White Sox minor league stats you need to get to? Yeah, so Michael Kopech obviously on the bump here in Detroit coming up over the next 10 minutes or so. game has not even started yet. Right, there was a... Pre-game ceremony, I believe, for Alan Trammell. So mm-hmm. that Just delayed the start. Ceremony for everybody. Tomei was speaking yesterday at the Twins game. Yeah. I saw that. <laughs> Come on. I saw that. So it's, is this just going to do every team? How long was he there? Like six weeks like or something? Minutes. How long was the he? The back end of that season, two, 2009, 2010. I mean, really. Come on. That's such he a doesn't to- need a microphone. It's such a Tomei thing to do, though. He's like, not going to turn it down, right? No. Absolutely not, because he's too respectful. But how do you say about what the organization meant to you when you were you got like know, two paychecks? But he still managed to do it. Yeah. He still managed to make those people feel important, and that's what Jim Tomey does. You have to admire that. Go ahead, Eli. So Michael Kopak over the last 46 innings or so, nine earned runs, which is about a 1.7 ERA. Pretty ridiculous. He's been dominant. I know seven of those starts came in the minors in his last seven starts in AAA, and then the two innings on Tuesday in his first ever major league start. Dane Dunning, uh, an elbow sprain occurred about two months ago. He's likely done for the rest of the season in, in Birmingham, a two seven six ERA in his last uh, 11 AA starts. And then Dylan Cease, 
over this past week has been shut down for the remainder of the season. A career high, 124 innings pitched. His last nine starts in Double A. Get this: you thought Kopech stuff was good. A .94 ERA over 42, 47 and two thirds innings pitched. 23 hits, 71 strikeouts, 20 walks, so a 71 to 20 strikeout to walk ratio, and a .90 WHIP with two home runs allowed. Wow! So he's been dominant. .9 WHIP, a .8 ERA, and what 70 to 20 roughly strikeouts to walks? Correct. In 49 innings? Correct. It's pretty good stuff. Been pretty dominant, and then pretty over- good trade for the White Sox, huh? Worked out. The Catana <laughs> trade kind of worked out for the White Sox. <laughs> Did not work out for one team. See, that's that's my point on these deals. If Moncada turns out to be nothing, you know, you you got to add them all up together, all the things they've done, and see where that see how it all shakes out. And yeah, I'm not, that's not I, how people are going to look at it. Though. I'm not dismissing Moncada yeah. by any sense, but I mean, you you got to add them all up and see see what's left. At yeah, the end. when they made that trade, they had no idea that Kopech could be the best player in the deal, but they knew his ceiling. It could be. Obviously, Eloy going back to AAA with a 9.58 OPS, 11 home runs, and 29 RBI. The strikeout, or the, the strikeout rate has improved a ton uh, since he's been brought over, over from the Cubs. A 12.4 uh, strikeout rate this season in Charlotte, and he had uh, above a 21% strikeout rate with the Cubs last year. So uh, that's uh, obviously negating 9% on the strikeout rate. And then last, in Winston-Salem, Alec Hansen. Uh, was demoted from double-A a couple weeks ago, pitched on Thursday, hasn't gotten above four innings pitched in his three Winston-Salem starts in the high A. On Thursday, four innings pitched, two hits, one earned run, five walks, and four strikeouts, just 35 of 75 pitches, four strikes. Mm. All right, well, he needs a reset. He needs this season to be over and to get healthy or stay healthy and start over next year because he was absolutely dominant last year. And that, that injury to start the season obviously derailed him. Yeah, I mean, given all the injuries that we've talked about all season with this rebuild for the White Sox, mm. uh, where they're going to end 2018, it seems like it's a big positive. I don't disagree. There's an awful lot of good stuff happening. I mean, pretty much everything that could go wrong went wrong, right? In and terms of injuries, yeah. just about? Yes. Go up and down the entire list. Yeah. But meanwhile, Rodon pitching great, Giolito pitching really well, Kopech here, Kopech here, Cease done for the year. I don't know. Is that a positive? I I guess it'll be a positive. Yeah, even though I wouldn't have done it, but yeah. No, I I, either would I, either would I. But a lot of good things happening for the White Sox. As for the Cubs, Joe, we only got about thirty seconds. Uh, The Darvish stuff the other day, kind of weird, huh? Yeah, some people felt better after hearing him speak. I, I I felt worse. I would wouldn't feel great about that going into next year. It, he was by what by his comments, and again through the translator, but by his comments, he was telling you that he was buying into the the mental stuff too. For people that said he just isn't stable, and look at the World Series, you can't depend on him. The guy that was injured was was relieved to find out that he was injured. Yeah, kind of what kind of a weird thing to hear. Like what is so? What is his confidence level in where he is right now? I mean, if you do MRIs of every pitcher in the game, you're going to find stuff. Sounds like he wanted them to find something. Feel good. So you got five more. Oh boy, Joe, we are (laughs) we are out of time. The Barry. Oh boy, is not a good sign. Oh boy.
Good luck. Uh, Joe, we're out of time, so it's time for thank yous to our producer, Eli Hershkovich. Great job, as always. Thank you. Thanks to our guests, Tom Brenneman, Tyler Kepner, Chris Ranji, and Bruce Levine. Thanks for calling. Thanks for texting. Most of all, thanks for listening. We really appreciate you spending some of your Sunday with us. Stay tuned now for the Cubs pregame show, starring Zach Zabeman and featuring Joe Madden, Jim Hickey, Len Casper, and Ron Coomer. Then it's Cubs baseball with Pat Hughes and Ron Coomer right here on the radio home of the Chicago Cubs. Tomer Bailey, who is really, really bad, and Kyle Hendricks will have to check the line on that, Joe. Have a great rest of your Sunday, everybody. Hasta la vista, baby! I carpool with McGowan to the ballpark in the morning. McGowan! Are you kidding me? Holy Moses. How about that for a sec? This Rosner guy. So long, everybody. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.